Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. And we are live. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today are my two wonderful co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. Thank you all for joining us. If you don't know who we are, or you ever want to reach out to us, you can do so on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us over on the BGG Guild number 2077, or chat with us on places like Twitter and Instagram. Today's show is going to be a good one. As I said, we are live again here in April, and we have a couple cool things lined up. Uh, we are going to do a discussion on game labels and gaming jargon, talk about some of the words we use while we're gaming. I have a contest announcement that I don't know that I told Dan and Tiff about, so that'll be fun to talk about in about 10 minutes. But before we do any of that, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing, and let's start with Miss Tiffany B. What have you been playing? I, uh... Picked up my first Stone Age. It's a cute looking version of Stone Age meant for younger kids. It's a little bit different, so I'll try to explain how the game works first. You have different places on the board that you can go, but you're going there not by exactly roll and move, but you're moving through them. They're on like a track. So those stations that you go to have different kinds of resources that you're trying to collect to build buildings. And the whole goal of the game is to be the first person to build three buildings. Uh, around the outside of the board, you have different tiles, and the different tiles have a combination of dice faces, so, you know, one through six, and just pictures of the different resources, or uh, there is the hut tile that lets you go to the hut and build a hut. So on your turn, you flip over one of those tiles and you move the correct amount or to the place that it says to go and you take your turn. So there's a little bit of a memory aspect to it. When you flip over the hut tile, all the previously flipped over tiles get flipped back over and you switch a couple around and, and continue play. I played this with 13-year-olds, they thought it was boring. And so did I. What's awesome. the age range? It's, oh gosh. Um, I it was like five, isn't it? It is. It starts real low. It's five plus. So you can teach it to a five-year-old. It would be appropriate for like, I'd say, five to ten. I think my sixth graders probably could have gotten into it a little bit more. But we ended up just like making up variants to make it harder. And we that could was, just play Stone Age. Believe me, we play Stone Age. <laughs> I know. I'm just, the, the variant for my first Stone Age is Stone Age. Yeah. Well, what kind of this, did you do to vary it? So we made it so you f you switch more tiles when you have to flip them back over. Because I think in the rules, you're just flipping, you're switching two different tiles. So it's really easy to remember what's been flipped. So if you switch a couple more of them to different places, it makes it a lot harder to remember where they are. And that's that was honestly probably enough to give it a little bit more challenge. I just felt like, at least when I was playing it, that I wasn't paying that much attention to the memory part of it, and I was just flipping tiles and going there and getting things, and it, it worked out. I still won. We also played a partner's version where you had your resources still secret, and when you built a tile, you had to build it with at least one resource from your partner. We played it. It wasn't terrible, and I could definitely see where if you had really young kids... You know, it would be a thing to do. But I don't think this isn't one of those kids games that gamers are going to enjoy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, were you were you expecting to? No. How disappointed are you? I'm not super disappointed. And, and to be completely fair, it's so much faster. 
Yeah. <laughs> like we played the game probably three times in the span of like 45 minutes mm. with our different variants. So Sounds like a hobby. It looks game. super cute though, doesn't it? It's really cute and it does play fast. So I think it's like a thing where when I start Board Game Club at the beginning of the year, those really young sixth graders who have a hard time like digesting rules, it would be a good game to start off with. But it's it's definitely, I, I picked the wrong kids to try it out with. They just happened to be the only kids that were there on that day. It's nice outside. <laughs> Not as many kids coming to Board Game Club. You got to take Board Game Club outside. That's a great idea. Oh, activity. God. No. I mean, I still Why? have, I, like, this last week we played Code Names, too, and we were all able to play it, and that worked out really well. Yeah. We did sixth graders versus eighth graders. Ooh. Yeah. Battle of the more educated and less educated. Yeah. Super fair. All right. Now, Dan, tell me what you've been playing. Still not that much, unfortunately, but that will pick up here uh, soon, considering my wife and son have departed for France for the next two months, and I have nothing to do but twiddle my thumbs. So I guess I, the most recent thing I played was Quadropolis, which was on my top of the stack. What? So cross one of the three off. Um, this is the new Days of Wonder Asmodee release. It's a abstract city-building game uh, for the most part. There's not a whole ton of think of like suburbia as far as like as much as you're going to get immersed in the building of a city but also you know with suburbia as a comparison this is a much more streamlined and easy to teach version of it in my opinion with the same sort of feel you know and the same sort of uh, kind of city building aspects to it etc where things are positioned give you points etc um, the really uh, cool thing about this game is the central tile mechanic that is how you're going to pick your tiles. Um, there's a 5x5 five five grid in the middle of the table and I'm going to talk about the base version right now and then I'll go into like the expert mode and how it's different but the base mode every player is given um, four architects numbered one, two, three, or four and what you're going to do is as I mentioned there's a 5x5 five five grid and on your turn you're going to take one of your architects and you're going to place it on one of the columns or rows on either on any side of the square okay so just put it on one of the sides of the 5x5 five five square. And the, this, this dictates what city tile you get to choose based on the number of the architect that you pick. So if I, put, if I pick the number two architect and I put it in the second row, I'm going to take the, um, the city tile that is in the second column of the second row because that's where I placed it. And what that does is not only does it block that space on the square, so where I placed my architect from someone else placing there, but it also, you put what's called the little, I don't forget what it's called, the little city meeple thing. It's really translucent and pretty. But that will block anyone from taking a tile in that row or column until the city thing moves the next turn. So there's a little, a slight little um, way to hinder your opponent, at least the person to your left in this case. Um, but when you take the tile, not only, you know, again, the restrictions on what you picked are dictated by that architect, but where you can place it on your board is also dictated by that architect. You have a uh, four by four board that's broken into four quadrants of four, and then they're numbered one through four on the columns and rows axis. And again, if you selected that two architect, so you're taking that second tile in the grid up top, and then you have to place it in either the number two column or the number two row on your player board. And it, it gets into the, all this little, at first it's like, oh, there's nothing to this. But as you get into like rounds two and three, you start to see where, hmm, maybe I should have done a little bit better in my city planning because 
I'm unable to take certain tiles to place in certain quadrants, and the the name of the game is is scoring these um, these tiles based on how they're positioned. And there's I think in the base game there's six different ways you can score. I think five or six. So six different types of tiles you're building. There's parks, there's townhouses, there's shops, there's factories, there's harbors, and they each have a different scoring uh, mechanism based on how they're positioned and what's positioned around them. So again, similar to like something like suburbia where everything is location, 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 just like real estate. Um, so I, I really like it. The base game, as I mentioned, it's simple. You can explain the game in five minutes, but it's still thinky enough that I get enjoyment out of it and the people I played it with really liked it. Um, I had tested this back at Gen Con last year. Tiff and I watched it. We didn't test it. We watched it, and then I played it at New York Tour Fair, and I was really excited about it. So definitely another really good kind of family-style game in the same ilk as like a Five Tribes from uh, Days of Wonder. It's glad I'm glad to see them. Production quality is amazing, and yeah, I highly recommend this one if you like, like a streamlined, you know, like I said, family weight kind of light to medium uh, city builder. And there is an expert mode, which really kind of ups the ante for it as well. That's what I was going to ask. Have you gotten a chance to play the expert mode yet? I have played the expert mode. So how the expert mode differs is um, number one, it adds two new um, scoring ways. So I think there's eight in total. It adds an extra quadrant, so there's five quadrants on the board, so you've got like a little, I think it's like a cross in the middle that separates them. And then it adds another round, so you play five rounds instead of four. And then the main difference is the architects. So as I mentioned before, each player in the base mode gets architects numbered one through four. In the um, advanced mode, you deal out architects one through five for the number of players there are. So if there's three players, you're going to have three ones, three twos, three threes, three fours, three fives, and they're drafted instead. So it's a little more, you know, you got to plan what you think your opponents are going to do, which ones they want to select. So it's a little bit more thinking in that way, um, but still keeps it right around like the 75 minute mark, even on the advanced version. The, the basic version you can play in probably about 45 minutes. So they both can be played. I think once you get going, you could play both modes in under an hour, which is great for the enjoyment I get out of this game. Yeah, when I, I played the base game with Steve, and we played the two-player, I don't know how I felt about the, the basic version. I mean, that seems to be the more family-friendly Two-player is not the way to play it. I mean, it was still, it worked. It was still enjoyable to some extent. Um, you When you play with less than four players, some of the tiles get flipped face down, so there's like this risk um, and trying to, I was trying to push Steve into taking face down tiles a lot um, just to kind of mess with him, so that he had to take random stuff, which, you know, there was some fun in that. Yeah. Um, I, the two games seem very different the two the two modes almost like the expert game seems like the game that i'm actually buying it for and that family style at least in our group that like basic version family style version just seems a little too light i guess is what i was thinking nah, i i think i think the more you play it the more you'll see some of the synergies that you can build with the boards and it's still the one through four restrictions is kind of interesting still i i like okay. to play this with i've played it with three and four um, we played it with four last Sunday after your wedding, and Mike, our brother, loved it. He really enjoyed it, um, the base version. I'm not sure if he'd care for the advanced version. I'm sure he would because he liked it. But, yeah, there's so many different – well, not so many, but there's enough different strategies, and it's ripe for just sticking expansions in there, um, switching up the buildings. So I, I thought it was good. Like I said, I think, our, I think you need to play the base version first. Um, a lot of these games, like I talk about Kramer and Kiesling, they always have like an advanced version and a um, 
kind of base version. And usually in their games, I skip right to the advanced version. But I think with this one, it helps you understand the scoring methodologies that are kind of taking place, the different mechanisms, how things kind of intertwine in your work. So I, I personally, I recommend starting with the base game. If it's too light for you, fine. Just bump it up to expert. I think you'll find expert to be um, just as challenging. Not just yeah. as, I think more challenging, sorry. Unfortunately, this is another vacuform insert that's too perfect and is not ripe for expansion. Mm. Well, it's you can stick them under the thing. So I was reading um, in the comments for this one because I was really interested in buying it, and especially after seeing it at Gen Con because it's so pretty. But a lot of the people who don't like this game say it's uh, just kind of samey, boring, and maybe not very thematic feeling. I know Dan probably doesn't there's no matter. theme. Yeah. No, it's it's like suburbia. There's no theme in suburbia. Right. Other than you shouldn't build a factory next to a residential. Well, you're building place. a city, like a city layout, and the this way that they interact, layout. it pushes you to build things. That's this a, is a that's city layout. It's has. just more confined and a little bit more restrictive. Yeah. Um, which I kind of like. I like the puzzly feel of this because when you're selecting with that architect, you can only put it in row two or three, and you got to have a little foresight into rounds three, four, five, where the better buildings are coming out but you may not have, you know, the location to put them in at some point. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I could see people not liking this. That's fine. I, I, I found it enjoyable for what it was. Like I said, an under 60-minute little city builder with really nice components and art. I mean, you played it multiple times. Did you did you feel any of that sameness? Because I could see that comment, at least for that base version. That stands out as potentially um, a valid comment. I think... I, I'd be curious to see how many people they're playing with because I think the more people you have, the more kind of... It it really narrows your focus on the the top board and like for instance I had to go in like a different direction Mike went and went in a different direction than Eve went so you kind of had to hone your focus a little bit um, I've never done the same thing twice but I'm not the type of person either that's going to play this 12 times like in a weekend kind of thing which some people may do and it may feel like that um, I I think that's another reason I like space out my plays of game because they still feel fresh when I bring them back out if I enjoyed it the first time kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say. I've only played it. I've only played the, the real version twice since then. So I can't. I don't want to comment on that. People are going to take my opinion apart. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't answer it. I, I, I don't think two plays is enough to answer that. I, I hope to play it more okay. and then yeah. review it. All right. Well, one of the games that I got to play is a new game that just came out. Oh, what's today? Saturday? So it came out two days ago on Thursday. Uh, it's Android Mainframe, a game that I think we've talked about in the news that you guys haven't really cared about, but one that I'm, I'm digging on, one because it's abstract, an abstract that plays two to four players, in fact, and it's Android, like the universe from FFG. So I'm all about those two things put together. Um, I got one play in with Kel last night, had a lot of fun. Essentially what this game is, is remember that, did you guys ever play that just connect game? Just the dots, that's all it is. Is that what that's called, connect the dots, where you just make the line? and then you put your initial in the box when you make a box kind of thing. Yeah, there's all kinds of names, like squares and four corners. Yeah. And it's kind of like that game. It's not exactly like that. It's not that simplistic. It's got a little bit more going on, but uh, that's what it's most akin to. Essentially what you have is you have a big rectangular board that has um, squares in it, and then it has along the lines, like imagine like where the grid lines would be of the board. Those are inlays where you can lay these little dividers in, these little sticks. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to create zones, which are just completely walled off areas that have only your 
control marker in the middle of it. And the way that you do that is you execute programs, which basically means you take action cards. And there's a row of open action cards in the middle, and you're going to be selecting one of those, and you do the action, and then your turn's over. So those allow you to place the walls down, they allow you to move the walls around, they allow you to place your control markers, and they allow you to swap control markers. And you have a couple of special action cards that are specific to your character that give you you start with three of them, so those are your special abilities for the game, and once you use them, they're gone. And essentially, you know, with two players, it was a little wide open. We were able to maneuver a lot and kind of do what we needed to do. I think it would get a lot tighter with three and four, so I'll be interested to see. Um, you just don't have a lot of, like, abstract games, strictly abstract games that play three and four, um, but I enjoyed it. It was much more take that than I was expecting, though, because there are just a ton of abilities that let you move other people's stuff let you move their control points and move your control points in. Um, at any time for your action, you can discard a card to drop a control point anywhere on the board that's that's open, and that allows you to stop people from taking control, because you can only score those points if you're the only person controlling the area. So a lot of kind of, you know, take that tactics, um, a very tactical style game, not a lot of long-term strategy just because things move so fast, uh, but I, I mean, I liked it. Price points, 35 bucks, production value warrants that, um, and a game that hopefully I can get to play. It just gives me an option to play with more than two players, this style of game, which I don't always have. So um, I know probably not your guy's bag, though. See, an abstract game based on Android? Sign me up. <laughs> That's what I figured, Tiff. Yeah, yeah. Plays two to four. We can play it together. <laughs> All three of us. I'd be much more likely to try something like this out. Like, when when I played the, the card game, I really super-duper hated it. And for whatever reason, the weird, like, what do they call this? Cyberpunk-type yeah. themes? Don't grab me. I don't know. Well, I mean, honestly, this one doesn't have a whole lot of theme. Like, Kel just picked the the player that was green because that's her player color. Um, the board is is just black with like little blue sticks on it that the you lay for the walls. Cool. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna play Adam, and he's like this android who broke free from the mainframe and started killing people, and he's so cool, and this is why his ability is this way, and this is what this program does. But really, Kel's like, I'm gonna lay three blue sticks down. Right. So you can just play it abstract. You can ignore the theme. It looks it looks interesting. Like I feel like it has some table appeal. So yeah, yeah. It's an old game. It I think it's it's a reimplementation of Bauhaus, which is like a 2012 game of the same thing, but that was just pure abstract. That had no theme. And Fantasy Flight did this. I wish it was Shadowrun. Like Andrew doesn't do anything for me. Shadowrun's my cyberpunk setting of choice. Oh, they're, those things aren't the same thing. No, Shadowrun Android like mixes is... magic and like dwarves and elves and stuff, which are cooler for me. <laughs> Shadowrun's not strictly cyberpunk; it's like cyberpunk fantasy, and yeah. Android is like a very realistic humanoid, humanish, like modern society wow. in the future. So. Wow, just wow! I don't know what to think about either of those. Okay. I well, you know, I'm a I'm a nerd for this Android stuff, and I got the source book that they released recently, and I read through that. I'm still reading through it, but I I just like the portrayal of Earth of real life, like kind of alternate history in the future. It's it's based in some kind of reality, um, and I just think it's kind of cool to dig into. But that's me. I'm a weirdo. So I think you're let's move back weirdos. in. What have you been playing that does not involve circuit boards or mainframes or <laughs> dwarves? Well, one of the games that I played, this is a while back, I but I didn't get a chance to mention it, was another Bowser game that I had never heard of. He has, like, a lot of weird games out there that 
maybe a lot of people haven't played, but it's called Hurry Cup. It was does it it was released in 2008, so I guess it's kind of old and uh it's a racing game. It has it's kind of a family style, family weight game. You have uh modular tiles that you lay out to set up the board so you can kind of set it up however you want. But the way the game works is it has a little bit of dexterity mixed in with it when you when you go to take your turns, there are four dice that are the four different colors, and you shake those up in a cup, put them down, reveal them, and then everybody just grabs for the die that they want. And the dice that you or the die that you grab plus you roll another die, the accelerator die, give you how far you're going to go. So it's kind of like a complicated roll and move. <laughs> and the problem is the reason you wouldn't want to grab like the highest die every single time is because there are speed limits on those uh, tiles that you're moving on. So if you had a really high number and then multi- had your accelerator added to it, if you go past that speed limit, you stop on that tile. So you could stop really easily if you just went for it every single time. There are like one-time use things that let you break the rules. So like you might be able to jump a space things like that. And I don't know, it was okay. (laughs) It's cute. (laughs) I haven't, I guess I haven't been playing like games that I'm super into lately, but for this one, there's the dexterity element of you grab those dice, but like, it's almost like you just grab a die. Like that's how it felt for me anyway. It's just like, as soon as the cup is revealed, you just grab one. You don't really have time to process. Okay, I can go four spaces and this is what, you know, you don't have time to do that. So you're just grabbing a die and hoping for the best. And it's probably why no one's ever heard of this game. <laughs> how did you say you came across this? Kyle. Yeah, oh, Kyle. Fr- fr- friend of the show, Kyle. <laughs> I... <laughs> I wonder if he got it in like a math trade kind of deal or, you know, or he picked it up super cheap. He looks for for interesting bargain games, which I do appreciate, but this one was not my favorite. It was just on sale for seven bucks. That makes sense. Yeah. I, why Why is Dan not like swooning or singing the praises of Bowser? I'm confused why uh, why we haven't had any fanfare. Because hmm. you said dice and roll and move. I was, I mean... The guy's allowed to have a couple of crappy games. You're so quick to get them. Jaris, Kenner Jaris. He'll probably have another one soon. Like, he's okay. I thought you'd play anything by him. I would play it. I would try it, but I'm not like dying. He's got a couple of games. He's got a, the Garage Band game that I stare at all the time. That I'm like, mm, no. He's got a few. I mean, it's a quick little family game. It's not the worst thing you could ever play. It's just I don't know, not my style. I generally don't like racing games anyway. So you've played two duds. Which one was better than the other? Um, I probably, oh gosh, they're equally. I probably had more fun playing Hurry Cup. Okay, there we go. So when you're faced with brings the fun. (laughs) There we go. Well, because it's just like I'm shredding the skin off of all of my friends as I grab for the dice that I want. (laughs) You know, just jump in there with that. But I don't like grabby games like that. Mm. Jungle Speed. That one's okay, but. I prefer to play it on the app, so I do maintain like my beautiful hand skin. One time we were playing Jungle Speed, and I have the one with the wooden totem. They got rid of that mm-hmm. because, you know, it's dangerous, and I found out why. Because someone went to go grab it, and it, it I was smiling, and it launched right into my teeth. It hurt <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Statistics show that at least two people die annually from Jungle Speed. <laughs> 
there's an awesome video on YouTube of people who play Jungle Speed where they put the totem like in another room. So once the two people get their match, they sprint and like shove each other into <laughs> all kinds of stuff down the hallway to get to the totem. It's pretty awesome. It's like a rare breed of athletic nerds. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right, Dan. What else have you been playing? Uh, what else did I play? recently uh, you guys already talked about oregon i played that again how was that experience that was well i played that with mike and steve and mike hated it so naturally it made the game kind of it's did, it's did okay anything valid to say about it like no yeah the the way that you can't like it's very card draw dependent and matt's probably already talked about this so i won't go into the mechanics but for me that's the biggest downside and there's no way to discard to like refresh your hand in any way so you have to do you have to do the most with what you're given which I can I guess I can get behind in a way but for someone who's a little more casual and likes more strategic games he felt that he couldn't really set anything up so I I couldn't fault him I understand why he didn't like it it was kind of funny because he's just like, I need a buffalo. And then he'd draw a card, and it's like, that's not a buffalo. And he kept going on looking for a buffalo. It took him like six turns to get a buffalo, which was kind of annoying. I wound up like stomping everyone in that game. I was ahead by like 45 points at the end of the game. But it was their first plays of it, and I kind of had an understanding of what I needed to do. So I got that. But do you yeah, feel like... I don't know. I am not, I'm not entirely sold on it. I think I like it, but I don't. I don't love it. I would play it again. I want to try it with four. I've played it with two and three. I'd like to try it with the full complement to see how the board kind of flushes out a little bit more, which may make it may be best with four because then the card draw maybe nullifies a little bit because there's so many more options. People are putting different things out on the board, and it might just be easier to kind of traverse where you need to traverse, kind of things. But yeah, yeah. Overall, I like I like a lot of the mechanics in it. I think it's got some solid uh, ideas, but Again, that I hate those card draw dependent games where I can't really set myself up as best I can. It's it's ultimately optimizing what you're given, but there's no way to really get rid of what you're given in, in the same aspect, if that makes sense. I just wish there was like a discard mechanic. Like at the end of your turn you can discard and redraw back to four or something like that. Alright, well that's not the game you wanted to talk about, so give me something else. No, that's fine. I can talk about that. I played Survive Escape from Atlantis. That game is past its prime. Uh, I'll just say that. I had no fun playing that. It was just, I, you know, it has its audience, and it's not me. I've firmly, firmly determined that. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just, I, I have no fun playing it. I don't. I don't know why. I just don't have any fun playing it. I mean, you don't have fun playing anything, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I have 300 and some games, as I always say, that I have. And he doesn't like any of It's amazing. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Okay, I'm going to leave it. Oh, well, I tried. I tried live listener, viewers and listeners. I tried to poke the bear. I'm not going to poke the bear. I was, it's probably on your shelf. That's why you're defending it, because it's a, it's a crappy game. But mm, it's okay. Well, there's it's a difference so, between not liking the game and thinking it's a crappy game. I don't see anything I just wrong with don't, it. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I, so do you think mechanically, the base game is boring? You think that it's mechanically a problem, or you just think that you're somebody who plays a different style of game? I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't really even pay attention. Like, I was just going through the motions when I was playing. Someone said, can we play this? And I was like, fine. So I played it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there, that there was no. That's, that's always a good way to start off a game. Like, you want to play this? Oh, all right, whatever. No, but okay. <laughs> no, 
you know it's going to be enjoyable then. I could I could find other ways to have fun with it. I just I started building stacks of whales. <laughs> that was fun. I tried to see how high the whales could go, and then I put the dolphins on top of the whales, and then I tried to get the squid top, and it fell. Oh, that's sad, Dan. <laughs> Yeah. You're a riding cool. game night. All right. I so do. should I talk about another abstract game or should I make veiled comments about our start to the third time stories expansion? Veiled comments sound good. Veiled comments. All right. But I tweeted out that I was going to talk about Onitama. Okay. It's an abstract game and it's do great. It. Anyway, time stories. We started playing Prophecy of Dragons. We did one whole run and somehow they still managed to make this game different. I don't get how the games can be so drastically different every time within the same system. It's wild. Um, This one is a fantasy-themed game instead of the Zombies of Past or the uh, Asylum. But... In it, you basically take on your. It's very kind of D and D esque, where you have these classic roles of like a thief or a wizard or a healer or something like that. And you're running around. You know, I'm not going to spoil the story, but you're trying to do stuff and get things. And in this one, you know, it's kind of unfolded in a completely different way from the other two. Still, you've got different a different puzzle overall. You've got different mini puzzles within that. Um, they've been doing creative things with the card layouts and how you kind of interact with the different locations. And again, they've changed the what the generic tokens mean. So now there's magic in this system as a way to, to do combat. And you've got spells that you can cast if you, if you have that ability. So um, they've taken just these prototype components, like we talked again, and they've just transformed it into something that still manages to feel thematic, still manages to feel like a good story. Um, it all makes sense. And I have no idea where we're going in terms of the story or the puzzle because we only did one run and a lot of that is just kind of poking around to see what you find. But uh, I'm excited for it. I I was hoping to play it this weekend, but maybe we'll have to look into another day that Dan does not have a child. Um, So uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, I I think it was cool. I don't know how you're feeling about it, Dan. I have 54 of those days left. Um, Perfect. We'll fit one in. But who's counting? Um, I... (laughs) I'm going to start off by saying none of them have grabbed me like the first one. I think that first one really set the bar high, and these other ones haven't really grabbed me as much. But that being said, I already like this one better than Marcy Case, that's for sure. I really would like more puzzles, though. Like, that was the one that really grabbed me in the first one, was like the little puzzly aspects about it. From what I've read, Under the Mask really gets back to that as the core of its um, gameplay, which I'm really excited about. But like you said... It's always cool cracking the packs and seeing what different things they've come up with for like the generic tokens and the setting and then the characters. And this has the old Vincent Dutre art, which it looks really nice. It's like really pretty on the eyes. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to finishing it. I, I really enjoyed it. It's not that I haven't enjoyed the other ones, but nothing's really kind of grabbed hold of me like that first one. That story gave me like chills, like so. I'm looking forward. Well, I mean, to, to be play. fair, we're only one run in, and I don't think that we've figured anything yeah, yeah, out yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like nothing. That one grabbed me right off the bat, and I don't know if it was maybe because it was the first one, and I didn't know what to expect, and it really kind of wowed me. Uh, so I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Like I wasn't expecting this to be this cool. So I don't know. Maybe it just like I said, it set the bar high for me. So, but no, I'm really I'm. I'm liking the setting. I'm liking the different mechanics they've put in this this one. So I'm looking forward to finishing it. Yeah. There's a whole other pack of cards we need to open. There is. There That's is. Don't open. And when I go to France next month, I'm going to grab 
under the mask, so we have it before its U.S. release in July. Cool. We'll be ahead of the game. Yep. Now we just need to play it. All right. Any other stellar standout games that people have been playing, or shall we move along in this live show? We can move on. Okay. Hey, do you uh, you got any bumper music for me, Tiff? I do. Here you go. All right. Give me give me some of that sweet sweet bumper music. <laughs> Some of that sweet, sweet bumper music. I thought that one was cool. It's called Laconic that, Granny. It's yeah. like old new farting. Yeah, that's like the idea. <laughs> Do we not like that? I mean, I got other ones. What else you got? You got a sampler? Um, Here, I'll try this one. Hey, let me get the right, right word. No? You guys are good. I like this better. I like this better. All right, well, this is the one we'll keep in then. I'll just... I'll save the granny music for my personal listening pleasures. <laughs> That's actually a 23-minute track that Tiff just <laughs> listens to on loop. Yep. While she's doing household chores. You should just do the bumper music from now on. That was beautiful, Dan. I can mix some music. Um, hi. Okay, the next 10 minutes will be Dan making various sounds. Just I can do this. I can do a whole segment of just me doing bumper music. We could we could plan that. That'll right. be a that'll be a Patreon stretch goal. Sounds good. <laughs> Solid. Uh, so friends, I you guys don't listen to the podcast, right? No. You know, no, but I've been having tweets show up about some sort of contest. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, when I get to do things by myself, I just I do things my way, and my way is to we give things. We need some Sinatra away. for this. Yeah, this guy's um, apparently a baller, and we don't know it. Like he's like, oh, I'm just gonna start giving shit out. Yeah, yeah, I just give things away when when you guys aren't here to rein me in. So um, I came up with a little contest that I think hopefully we will all like. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you while I tell the listeners and the viewers. Okay, I am calling this the Pong. Podcast of Nonsensical Gamers tagline contest. Don't you guys think we need a tagline? Yeah. We don't have a tagline. It's like the the Podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, a show about Dan. It's <laughs> pretty much. I'm it. okay with that tagline. <laughs> <laughs> do other podcasts have like? Is this a thing that we're really missing? Like, well, some some yeah, shows do, like, you know. Like the Dice Tower is like, hey, we've been doing this too long, so it's not fun anymore. Happy Tabletop Day. <laughs> Come into view, Steve. What is, what is happening? happening? This is why we shouldn't do live shows. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Uh, Steve's in my house, apparently. Oh. I don't know why, but okay. he said happy tabletop day, everyone. All right. Uh, no wonder he's not in the chat. Anyway, the Fong tagline contest. People do have uh, do have shows. Like Dan was saying, the they have taglines. Like the Dice Tower is a game for people. Is it? A show for people who play games. Oh. A show about games and the people who love them. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I got A game it. about people and who plays them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that that's what we. I think that that's what we need. So what I've done is I first I seeded this secretly to our listeners in a post outro podcast that uh, you can listen to if you want to go find it. But basically, what I'm going to have people do 
is I want everyone to send in some taglines, either through Twitter or on a thread that I will create on our BGG Guild number 2077. And this is how it works. i got a whole thing. So people send in a tagline, send in as many as you like, and each one that you send will be an entry. But here's the deal. We have to like them. So if we don't like them, they won't count as an entry. So this is to uh, negate, to put some quality to the quantity. You can't just spam us with words. They need to amuse us in some way. Or, you know, pan to Dan's ego or something like that. That's right. Dance yeah. for us, listeners. <laughs> ego? So, uh, yeah. The way that this will work is uh, we're going to let this contest run probably until our next live show, and maybe we'll just announce it on our next live show. But, you know, it'll go until I say it doesn't go anymore. Because, again, doing things my way. And uh, there's going to be two winners to this show. And I have the ego. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's gonna be I'm doing a contest. Two... I'm buying games. I'm giving them out. Send me all your words. Dan has an ego. <laughs> I think that was our new tagline. <laughs> and we Dan, can do a show about Dan. I'm okay with that. That just yeah, that yeah. strokes my non-ego. So there will be two winners. One winner will be randomly chosen from the entire uh, lottery pool of entries. So when you when you send something in, you get an entry, and we'll just do a random number generator on that. The second winner is going to be the person who comes up with the best tagline. So two ways to win. If you win one, you can't win the other. We'll do the best tagline first, and then you'll get taken out of the random pool. That's how that works. Okay? Now, here's the deal. I also had people send in what they would like to win, because I didn't know what to get them. So you get to choose one of these potential prizes. I'm going to run through them, and we're going to see whether or not we're okay with these. Copy of Quadropolis, the game that we just talked about. A live show where Dan plays Euphoria. Somebody requested that, Dan. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no. Somebody can choose that as a prize to make you play Euphoria. Crap. No. Dan, this is for our listeners. I I love you all dearly, but that game sucks. We'll make it happen. A copy of Hyperborea, a copy of Karuba, a gift certificate to an online retailer, a Time Stories expansion, a game insert, a Meepolo. Somebody wanted a Meepolo, so that, that's an option if I can get a hold of one. Above and below. I think you should make one. Blood Rage. Uh, you don't want a handmade Handmade Meepolo, by me. Matt with love. <laughs> uh, somebody requested some gamer get glass, you copy of Suburbia. You just don't want a Meepolo he's been alone with. <laughs> no. Sad pillow. Uh, this is one, Tiff. You got anything sitting around in shipping boxes? Because uh, Patrick <laughs> wants anything that Tiff has not taken out of a shipping box. <laughs> Right now, the only thing I have in shipping boxes is Kingsburg, which I traded for, and I definitely am going to be playing that, Patrick. Well, then you, you need to open all your boxes so people can't select things. All right. Done deal. Uh, ben Beagle's a bum, and he wants a case of Captain Crunch. Uh, Odin's Ravens was also an option. Uh, Jim and Nate wrote in, and they said that they would like to win playing a game with us. Aww. They said you can buy... A That's game, so but you can't buy a game session with us. And I said, you can buy a game session with us. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the last one, this is probably, next to the Euphoria game, probably the shakiest, is a, a guest hosting spot. Somebody said that would be cool. I don't know if we can swing that because we don't do anything with any kind of professionalism, so I don't know how that would work out. But these are some of the prizes that people wanted, and I'm thinking that most of them are reasonable so you're going to get to choose from one of these options. That's a lot of options. This is the best well, contest is ever. I think it is, but it also helps us get a tagline, which we may or may not use. I can't podcast with strangers, though. 
Yeah, I don't. T- that would Listen, not. I'll do it. I'll do it. You can have a you can have a one on one podcast session with me. That sounds can, amazing. It'll <laughs> be like a for you. It'll be like a Barbara Walters special, and I'll I'll even talk like Barbara Walters the whole time. Oh, can we get you like a sweet, soft focus like look to you? That'd oh yeah, awesome. with a velvet chair. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Yeah. I'd watch that. Uh, I think we can actually cancel the contest because Robert Johnson in the chat just said, Pong, the podcast that dolphins would listen to if they had internet. And that's pretty much the best tagline we could. Would they have to like send out sonar? It's so nonsensical, Robert Johnson. <laughs> he gets us. But uh, hey, so, so that's our contest. Is that an okay contest, friends? Because I already did it. It's already happening. <laughs> Is that okay? Because we're doing this now. Yeah. yeah if you don't like fine. it you can take it up with me but i probably won't listen i just wanted i wanted to say thank you to our listeners and do something special for ta- for tabletop day so here we are we've got a contest if you have any more questions listen to the show again i guess i don't know uh try to get the details that way and uh now i think we can just move right along dan's getting really itchy because he's afraid that someone will pick a euphoria game with him oh, everyone well. should pick the game of i don't euphoria have to show i don't know yeah, i'm not playing that crap <laughs> Wouldn't that nothing. be a kind thing to do for a listener? There's nothing euphoric about that. I'd All have right. to be, like, drunk. hey Well, I'm sure that could be arranged. <laughs> All right. So, Tiff, Yeah. I want you to loop 30 seconds of interlude music. 30 seconds of interlude music? I yep. need a warning on this. We'll be right back. Jeez. Friends, today we are going to talk about game labels, gaming jargon, and all of the weird words that we use as gamers that we don't think about. Uh, and the reason that we're doing this is because Dan likes Euro games and I like Ameritrash games, and we just constantly butt heads. No, really. Um, it's because this is a conversation that I think is very valid and relevant to the hobby that I think when you're entrenched, as entrenched as us, you tend to forget. And it comes up a lot. So what I want to start with is basically talking about whatever we're talking about. Let's define these gaming labels. What kind of words are we talking about? Um, and how does our perspective interact with these things? So what we're talking about is the different categories, the different labels, the different words that we use to describe things. And not just Ameritrash and Euro games and things like that. There's a there's a whole bunch of words that we use, like, you know, what's a casual game? What's a family game? What does heavy mean? What's filler mean? And... You know, how do we define those in our own terms? And how does our own perspective kind of interact with that? Because it seems to have a very subjective meaning, yet we talk very factual, very matter-of-fact a lot of the time. So, you know, Dan, what are your thoughts on just kind of defining some of these words? Where do they fall for you? Like how I define them? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How does, like, your perspective influence that? Um, I don't know. That's a deep question. Uh... (laughs) Welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, a place for deep questions. Yeah. I mean, the tagline. We go both. Balls deep into podcasting. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. That's inappropriate. Sorry, Tiff. We can cut that. <laughs> you can't it's cut live. It live listeners. <laughs> You've got audio. Um, I don't know. I guess they—they kind of like you mentioned. They give us a way to 
talk amongst each other to kind of frame discussions about various games and various genres of games. I think whether right or wrong, I think they're here, and I think they're here to stay. Um, I think people have tried to change them. I know Tom Vassell has changed Ameritrash to Amerithrash, which, I, whatever, I guess. Might he, just be added, worse. he just added an H. I mean, it's not that original. But, um, yeah, it might actually be worse. I'd rather, I think Ameritrash has just a jokey nature to it. But um, I don't know. Like, like I said, I think it gives a way to kind of frame the discussion because when I'm, you know, I'm involved in the hobby, and when I hear people talking using this jargon and this kind of, you know, technical speak, so to say, um, I can kind of my brain can switch, and I, I kind of get even if it's not, you know, maybe 100% accurate, I kind of get an idea. If Matt tells me a game is, you know, Ameritrashy, I'm gonna go, eh, okay. Why is it a merit? You know, I'll dig a little deeper, but I kind of set my expectation. Kind of like what we talked about with, like, um, Arcadia Quest last episode, where I mentioned, like, I, I set my expectations because I had read up. People had kind of told me this is a, quote, Ameritrash game. It's dice rolling. It's combat. It's conflict. It's just running around a board kind of thing. And when I set that expectation in my mind, I, I was able to enjoy myself a little bit more. I think I have, I take a little bit more issues with games that maybe fall outside of the labels that I've kind of developed within my mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. It's, Tiff, yeah. what are your thoughts on the matter? On labels in general? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we as human beings need to categorize things. That's just a thing that we all do all the time. I mean, I do it. I like to put things in a bucket. and But at the same time, being intelligent, I realize that you know, there's really nothing in this world that is 100% game-wise, you know, there's no 100% Ameritrash game. There are just, uh, there are leanings. And when I was researching for this discussion, which I'm kind of nervous to have, honestly, just because it's, it, there are a lot of controversy surrounding, especially when you use Ameritrash as a as a defining thing. But uh, I did a lot of research and I looked up the Board Game Geek wiki for Ameritrash and there were a lot of interesting links in there. One of them was to a thread that was back in 2007 where someone, I think, defined it really the way I think about it, uh, Jeremy Calgreen, and he said, Ameritrash, the core priority is drama. In a Euro game, the core priority is elegance, and in a war game, the core priority is realism, and that for all of these, you're going to see aspects of elegance in America, Ameritrash games, but the core, the, the focus of those games is always maximizing the drama. And that's why you see the elements of, you know, let, that's why dice are so prevalent in Ameritrash games. That's why storytelling is so pre prevalent, because they add to the drama. I don't know. I think I think we need to label things to have quick conversations. And, you know, if we're describing out every single game that we play without the labels, our conversations are going to be longer. <laughs> so and Tip doesn't want to talk to you that. Yeah, long. exactly. Uh, let's keep this quick. <laughs> so just go up to Tip and go game in a box, Ameritrash, and then run away. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, cool. I want to try that. <laughs> well, so we're throwing we're throwing words around. We got our Ameritrash, we've got our Euro, um, things like hybrid games, casual games, family games, 
lightweight, heavyweight, filler. What are we trying to describe with these different terms? Are we talking about complexity? Are we talking about depth of the decision tree? The, just the mechanisms that are used in terms of like complexity and difficulty of that? Are we talking about length of time to play? Like, are there... I think, I think filler games are typically like time-based, whereas Ameritrash doesn't tell me about the time length of a game. Right. They're all different. I mean, filler is definitely a designation of time and complexity, as is heavy. You know, heavy is usually a more complex game that takes a long amount of time. Family game is a, probably related to filler game, but just could be longer, you know? So I think a lot of them are telling you about the length and complexity, whereas Ameritrash and Euro seem to be the ones that are going more to what the mechanisms actually are. Because if you say filler game, it could be anything. But if you say Euro game, I'm thinking cubes, I'm thinking worker placement, Thinking beautiful. I'm thinking yeah, well, okay. trading so in the Dan, Mediterranean. What are you thinking when you think Euro and Ameritrash? Uh, Tiff kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when she said, or I said earlier, like she said it like 20 minutes ago. It was about three and a half seconds ago. Um, but <laughs> what Tiff said with, you know, when I think Ameritrash, I think I think the experience comes first, and when I think Euro, I think the mechanisms come first. That's kind of my general, if I had to kind of give an overarching theme to those, obviously I can drill that down. But um, yeah, I always think Euros, the, the concentration is on the inner workings of the pieces, the puzzle that's presented, and just the, the exercise that the players go through. Whereas an Ameritrash game is like just all about the experience through die rolls, through those like, you know, high five moments, the, you know, a card flip, a, a dice roll. Um, anything like that, it's just driving the experience. There's a lot more theme. Everything that's in the game is tries to tie to that theme in some way. There's an immersion. Whereas for a Euro, I think we've, you know, everyone always says, quote, pasted on theme, which I don't really like that term. But um, I, I think that, you know, a, a Euro game is designed mechanic first and then somehow, you know, a theme gets, you know, emerges and then you can tweak it there and there. But I'm not going to get upset in a Euro game if I don't really feel like I'm collecting a coconut from a tree or something like that. Yeah, well, and it, it just gets complicated because it's all an abstraction. So it's in the way like, well, yeah, like to, to some extent... Yeah, we evaluate Euro games on their ability to feel like you're replicating a system, though. Like, you know, when, when Euro games are like, yeah, you know, I was running my factory, I was building my combos or whatever. They're more like, simulation-based, I'd say. Similar yeah. to what Tiff said with a war game. I think they try to, to simulate, as you mentioned, something that is real, something that took place, something along those lines. Aren't you still trying to drive an experience then, but it's a it's a more... It's a more cerebral experience for me. As a Not to say that Ameritra... Again, we can go... We can get all everyone can get mad at me during this conversation but, <laughs> oh we're um, going to we're going to but for me like i think like i said i think of euro games as the mechanisms as the puzzle as the and those can be those can have they they have their place in ameritrash like obviously a dungeon crawl you have to work together you have to do certain things but um, again, I think the experience of walking through that dungeon and flipping over a monster takes much more precedence in, in a Meritrash game. Well, and I think for both styles, there's a level of interaction that you expect when you hear Euro game. You're probably expecting more indirect interaction. So you might be dealing with your own tableau and affecting other people's choices based on what you do on the central board, but you're not directly... Uh, attacking anyone, whereas Ameritrash is definitely going to have uh, generally more uh, direct conflict, conflict, direct conflict, yeah. 
Yeah. I agree with that. Like I said, you could branch each of these down and give each a characteristic. I don't know if we have time to do all that, but right. you know, broadly speaking, that's kind of those were my thoughts. Well, and I oh. think there are Euro game designers that start theme first and the theme is important, yeah. you know, whereas there are probably Ameritrash games that have been designed mechanisms first. So that is possible. Uh, but generally, you know, it's a it's a big generalization, right? I mean, yeah. if you take something like, you know, the Imperial Assault Descent case, I mean, Imperial Assault is essentially a pasted-on theme of a system that's right. already been created. I mean, that was that was mechanic first to some extent, and then they took their IP and labeled it on there. There's nothing that really sets it apart as a Star Wars game as opposed to a fantasy dungeon-y game. So to, to that point, I mean, I think that there are ways that a Maritash game, you know, I'm going to create a game that has dice rolling and card flips, and or I want to create, like, if you create a dungeon crawl... I don't know. Well, and I mean, like, a lot of Ameritrash games have built in imbalance, you know, through player powers and things like that. Whereas a Euro game is more about, you know, how to best solve this puzzle that you're all working on. That's what a lot of Euro games feel like to me. You all have the same thing that you're trying to do. Who can do it the best using their brains? Yeah, yeah. So looking at these labels, you know, kind of moving, shifting a little bit, um, the purpose of these labels. Now, we've talked about how basically, I mean, we're fundamentals of language. I mean, we're trying to categorize, we're trying to communicate, and we're trying to describe in a faster way, in a more universal way. So we use terms like this. I mean, there's a very informational purpose to it when... You know, you're pitching as a designer, you're pitching as uh, doing an advertisement or something like that. You might say it's a worker placement game instead of saying it's a game where you put things down and activate spaces and collect goods. Like you just, you know, you say worker placement and you you encompass a whole set, a whole process in one term. So there's clearly an informa- informational value. What is it? I see that there's also a valuative value to these words though right i mean do you guys agree or disagree that there is some sometimes there is uh, an opinion communicated through these things yeah well i think it's funny because it really just depends on where where you see yourself in the spectrum of things you know like this is gonna piss dan off maybe but like oh, let's do it let's I... do it not not dan specifically but let's let's talk like, real this is a show about dan <laughs> So, okay, Dan is like our resident, like, hardcore Euro guy, yeah? So a lot of times, if he's talking about Ameritrash, that not necessarily being his style of game, from his point of view, it's not, like, a happy thing, you know what I mean? He's, he's... I don't want to say devaluing a Euro, uh, you know, Ameritrash game, but he's saying Ameritrash with a little bit of stank eh. on it. Ameritrash, you know, like <laughs> not like Ameritrash, it's like not maybe my style of game. right. That's all. So I just think if you're on one side of the spectrum, and maybe you're not, maybe you're like weirdly in the middle, where where is where I consider myself not one or the other. So when I say Ameritrash, I don't mean it as an insult, and a lot of times I'm very proud to to say that I play those games. So. I don't know. I think it's just based on your perspective. It can be an insult. It can be a value judgment. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's the question that I have. Because even when, not even just like Ameritrash or Euro, I mean, I'm sh- 
it's just not something that you hear. You don't hear a lot of people say euro with stank on it. You know, you don't hear a lot of people be like, "That's a euro game." I don't know. Um, I <laughs> like maybe I maybe not the word yeah, euro game, but there. the way people refer to like cube pushers usually is the way yeah. I've heard it as the like derogatory, like "Oh, boring cube pusher." Or when people say paste on soulless, like Dan out. soulless euro, yeah. But there are well, a lot Dan of people... uses that as a positive thing, though. Right. <laughs> oh, it, it resonates in my soul. It doesn't resonate in everyone else's, but it has soul. <laughs> I Yeah, so, I mean, and even things like when we talk about, like, oh, it's just like a filler game or party game, something that I think would resonate with all three of us, like, we don't always say party game positively. No. Like, eh, it's a party well, game. Well, yeah, so party game has different things. Like, for Tiff, that means social interaction, I probably think. Like, and it not makes say me that nauseous she is what it does. Yeah, yeah, Tiff vomits when you say party game. I say it all the time to her, and she's just, that's what she does. It's kind of fun. Uh, so if anyone ever meets Tiff, just say party game. And then she'll... And she'll, she'll throw up. She'll yeah. throw up or poop herself, one of the two. Hopefully she throws up. Wow. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I'm going to have people, yeah. like, assaulting me. At conventions. Awesome. Yeah, but like uh, party games too, you think player count. That's like the first thing that comes to my mind. Like a lot of party games require like three, four, five plus people to make them enjoyable and interesting. And a lot of times that's just not something I have available to me and not something I really want to. I mean, I like people, but I don't necessarily want to be around them all the time. Yeah. It also speaks to like a complexity thing too though. Generally party games are not overly complex. They are not games that value and this isn't fair to say cuz not all party games are like this, but like, you know, you're not engaging in long-term strategy typically with party games because you're looking for fast-paced experience. You're looking for something that values the social interaction and brings that forth, which again like Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I go ahead. Okay. I lost it. I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, say, I wish they'd stop with these games where everyone has to, someone has to be a judge. Like I'm like it seems like every party game that comes out, someone has to be a judge of something. It's like no, let's be a little more creative, people. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it it really just depends on on where you're coming at it. When when you say like something is just a filler game, like yeah, okay. I think it's when you say it like that that it, it becomes yeah. an insult. Like, oh, it's just a filler game. I love filler games. Like, it's a filler game. Yay! But there are a <laughs> lot of people that are like, oh, it's just a filler game. Who cares? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that something that we think is pervasive? Is that something that is a common thing where people in whatever box they are in within the hobby, these, you know, subset of a subset here us gamers but do you think that we tend to take sides or or have loyalty to certain things that are our preferences are we less open-minded to other things just kind of naturally because we're human i, I, I mean know. i'm sure there are are people in the hobby that are like that uh, not people that i tend to game with i think it yeah. it just depends on your outlook i like everything i i like dice i like soulless cube pushing Euros. So I tend to play with people who have that mindset that they're willing to try anything once and go with it. So yeah, I, I, you could also use a label as a justification for like your opinion as well. I mean, like I said before, like Quadropolis, like it's a great family game. So that kind of for me that that sets the expectation that this isn't a hardcore Euro. This is something that is accessible. It's approachable by multiple levels of your family age range 
you know, skill level, etc. Plays in under 60 minutes. Like, I tried to convey all that by just saying it's a really good family game. And I think, yeah, you know, it, it. There's a lot that you can roll up into. It's not. It's not an insult. Like, I wouldn't say it's just a family game, but I would say for a family style game. That's kind of how I usually kind of phrase, you know, my opinions leading into kind of what I liked and disliked about it because I think. It sets, for those that are familiar with the jargon and understand kind of what we're talking about, it kind of sets the baseline. You know, okay, he's talking about a game that can play, you know, like I said, 60 minutes. Anyone can play it. It's a very easy thing to explain, but it's not overly complex and difficult, but still enjoyable, something like that. So using it to communicate all that information as opposed to saying it's a great family game or it's great for a family game kind of thing, like trying to put it in a box to segregate yeah. it from other And it's other not an games. insult. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah. it's it's used as almost a justification and, like I said, setting that baseline expectation when you're trying mm-hmm. to kind of convey your opinion. Because it's tough. Yeah. There's so many, like Tiff mentioned earlier, or you, Matt, I'm sorry, whoever mentioned it, there's so many different games. You can't put a game into one bucket. It goes into 90 buckets. But you can use the different language that has been created within the hobby to kind of tailor it, almost like a web filter, you know? I'm looking for a game that costs X to X dollar. I'm looking for this time length. Like, I think of it like that way. I don't think of it as an insult, but I'm saying, you know, if someone does yeah. say just a filler game, you know, when I hear filler, I'm not thinking to myself, ooh, there's going to be this tense three-hour struggle with four other players. Like, I'm thinking, that's like 15 minutes. I'm going to have fun, and we'll be done with it. Well, how does that work with, like, or how does that, and this is getting into, I, I wonder how, you know, this impacts our ability to communicate across people. How does, you know, our personal definitions impact though that, though? Because for someone like Mom... When we played like Mumbasa, that's a super he- that's like the heaviest game she's ever played. So in her mind, that's like top tier heavy game. In our mind, probably more like midweight Euro game. So how do we communicate? You know, someone's one hour game could be someone else's filler game. You know, how do we how do we deal with those miscommunications when we're when we're talking about games? Well, I mean, I think you have to to keep in mind who. Who it is you're speaking with. I mean, if you're talking to someone who predominantly plays family games or filler games or party games, you're going to tailor your description of a game and its heaviness and complexity based on that knowledge. If you don't know anyone, if you don't know that, if you're talking to a larger audience like we do, uh, that's that's where those miscommunications can happen. But it's all, it's really super subjective and it's really hard to get that out there if you have a huge audience that you're talking to. I like to think that everybody that listens to our podcast podcast is relatively familiar with this jargon and know when we're saying a heavy game it's a game that's going to last like two hours plus it's going to have a lot of bits and pieces it's going to have you know a thick rule book and some exceptions to rules and things like that well and that speaks to you know part of part of my question here about communicating if someone happens to stumble across the podcast of nonsensical gamers being as wonderful as we are and huge i mean we're huge a podcast about dan a podcast about Dan. Uh, you know, they type in Dan into their iTunes search and podcast of Nonsensical Gamers pops up. How is it difficult for us? Are we? Is it hard to communicate with newer gamers with all this jargon floating around? Is it hard for them to get in? Is this a barrier to entry trying to understand yes. what all these terms mean and then the intricacies of understanding the subjectiveness of it? I think that's any hobby, though. I mean, 
Yeah, that's Every true. Every company has a barrier. I mean, you know, I used to do paintball and I used to, you know, I, I'm looking into now getting back into mountain biking and stuff like that. And I read some of these articles and reviews and I have no clue what these people are talking about. And I used to do this stuff, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think it's just a matter of taking it upon yourself to kind of ingrain yourself in that community, learn what that jargon means. Obviously, it's such a welcoming community. If you had questions, people will answer them. Like if somebody asked us to have a discussion on what we mean by X, we would do it. It's not that we won't. It's just, again, we set that bar for the listeners having that baseline knowledge, but um, it's not to insult anyone who doesn't. I think any hobby has that that barrier to entry, and you just need to, if it's something you're interested in, you, you do more research. I think we all, that's how we all started. I mean, I didn't know what an Ameritrash or a Euro-style game was, you know, 10 right. years ago. I just knew, like, there was Catan. I didn't know Catan was called a Euro. I just knew Catan was about this little asshole robber running around stealing my, my, my sheep. <laughs> I I mean, I think that's where like most people start, right? With Catan or I started with Pandemic and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that this kind of game existed. I want to find more games like this. And that's where I stumbled across Board Game Geek. And there's a lot of information if you can navigate its intricacies uh, on Board Game Geek about this kind of stuff. There are filters so you can look through and find games like this. And just by searching and looking at different games, you start to pick up on uh, that jargon. So, you know, or watching YouTube videos, it's the same way for any hobby. I mean, for me, it's been my experience over the past year in cameras and video shooting. And it's really funny to go back because like right now I'm, I'm, I just recently watched a video that I remember watching a year ago and thought, Oh my God, I don't know what any of this means. Holy crap. And now I watch it. I'm like, no big deal. So like, yeah, I just yeah. think it's a process. It's a learning process. And like Dan said, you, once you get interested in something like this, you're going to dive in and you're going to do a little bit of research. And even if you're not like, okay, what is an Ameritrash game? And you're looking up that definition, you're going to see that pop up on either the games that you're playing or the games that you're not and, and kind yeah. of define it that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is all, this is all great. I like all this. I'm going to end, uh, round us out on, on just the best question. Oh no. Uh, and we will, we will go as deep into this as people are willing to, and we'll just probably keep it shallow. Is there a gaming class system? Is there, is there, is there, you know, people think some games are better than others, some style of games. People, people awfully hate dice sometimes. People on this podcast hate dice. I don't think it's a class. I think it's their opinions. I don't know if it's a class system. Well, and even looking at, like, you know, different companies, where they come from, looking at designer board games versus non-designer board games, like, they're technically all still games. I mean, yeah. we value those games above your Candylands and your Monopolies. I love Candyland. Don't even, don't even start. <laughs> That's an awful game. Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> as someone who's super deep in the hobby, I mean, I mounted my copy of Pizza Party in a shadow box and display it proudly in my home. So pizza even though party? Pizza Party from the 80s, it was party. one yeah, of my where you favorite. You put the pepperonis games. in the circles? So good. Yeah. It's just a matching game. It's so dumb, but I loved it. It's one of the one of my first board game memories, and so I I made it art, but so I think you can still like even though, and the big distinction, the big class system part that I kind of hate is this: I'm a gamer. This person is not a gamer. Well, if you play games, 
you're a gamer. And, you know, my board game club kids, their life isn't dominated by board games. They don't go on Board Game Geek. They barely know. Like, I have one kid who religiously watches Tabletop. And so, like, you know, he considers himself a gamer and some of the other kids maybe not so much. But the truth is, is they all show up every Monday to play board games. So they're all gamers. And I think that's... a the part of the class system that I worry the most about where we're creating a buried barrier to entry for people by labeling them as non gamers based on yeah. their level of experience in the hobby. R- rumor has it that tabletop needs some people to read rules for them. So, <laughs> Oh um, Dan, that's an old joke. It is not. It's still relevant. Cause I hate Will Wheaton. So. <laughs> Wow. Sorry. Well, so I mean, it's just like that's just what I wonder. Like when you look at people, like is the is the person who plays twenty minute filler games every week as much of a gamer as the person who plays three hour Euro games every week, or who runs a podcast or a blog or something? I think if you play games, you're a gamer. It's that simple. And I don't think that there should be a hierarchy in that. You know. But is there a secret hierarchy? What do you think? Is it there? I think it boils down to your opinion. What do you say? It boils down to your opinion. Like I like Euro games. I I don't look down upon anyone who plays a Meritrash game. I don't call them a non-gamer. I just say this. That's not my style of game. I'd rather play a Euro game. Like well, you say those games suck. They do, in my opinion. (laughs) But that's my opinion. Again, I don't think it's like a class thing. I think it's it's more. I think in that case, it's more of like. You're you're talking about the game. You're not talking about the people who play the game. Yeah, right. Those well, people are I mean, gamers. There's also this piece of like, there's this underlying like Dan mentioned earlier, valuing the cerebral experience of a of a Euro game. Like to to make it sound like people who primarily like Ameritrash games or filler games or party games like less thinky, less intelligent, like a less capable individual because they don't interact with those games in that same way. Like there is something there, I think. Maybe. No, I don't. I don't view anyone as I less would... intelligent, or because they don't like these games. It's just people want different experiences from the hobby, and you tailor your gaming collection and what you play to those experiences you want. Sometimes I even want just to sit down and roll a damn set of dice and just see what happens. Like it's funny. I want to be there um, on that day, Dan. It's not often. Give but... me a call <laughs> when you feel like rolling some dice. Yeah, I, I mean, I just play those games. in my mind, I think that there's as much value to like there's still planning, there's still interaction, there's still brain power being used when you're rolling dice and moving around a dungeon as when you're trying to figure out how much wheat you're making. And no, it's not the exact but, same well, processes. But, the focus is different. The mechanism is. But what if somebody like plays those games? To- they like the challenge or something like that. You well, know? and there's a creativity aspect too. Like a lot of um, Ameritrash games give the players a little bit more ability to think creatively and and work within the rule system. That's why the rule books, I think, are so unbelievably thick because you know the players of those games think very creatively and so there are a lot of like okay there's this rule but if this happens you can do this and this and this and this so there would be a lot of like subsections of a rule my boy richard lanius's rule books are like that and it and it's sometimes frustrating but yeah i i, I just think it's a, oh i wish he was here yeah it's too bad um <laughs> but i i don't know i don't 
I've never thought of it as like one style of game being better than other or certainly never one type of player being better than the other. But I mean, we have to face it. There are jerks everywhere in every hobby. And I mean, honestly, I think board game uh, board games have fewer jerks than a lot of hobbies that you can research on the Internet. <laughs> but there oh, are people God. who probably think that way. I don't think that makes it the case though yeah well hey i'm just putting these questions out there to see yeah. see what comes back so yeah i mean i just like i said i think i think they both tailor a different experience for those it's a it's a more and obviously it's up to you to kind of give you that bespoke kind of experience that you're looking for like i said i i'm looking for a puzzle if i can find a, a, a quote ameritrash game that has a puzzle that i enjoy i'm, I'm not going to not play it because it's an ameritrash game but i've found in my experience the games I enjoy most are of the quote Euro style that have those kind of complex inner workings. They're a little bit more strategic, which I, I think I've really narrowed down in my last couple of years that I prefer a game with a long-term goal as opposed to these little short terms here and there. Um, and, and things, things like that. I mean, there's a ton of things you can, you can garner from that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like making fun of your love of abstract games, Matt. But like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you're a different class of gamer from me because that's what you love to do. Like, I respect it. It's just not what I like, and it's fun to make fun. Oh, I, I totally think I'm, a, I'm a better gamer than you, Tiff. Oh man, abstract. I played gamers. Android Mainframe, and you played. You played Happy, uh, Happy Cup or whatever it was called. Hurry Cup. Hurry Cup. Bows up. Yeah, see? I'm just, I can't even say your game names right. I'm, I belittle them so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that we can all hold hands, meeple and dice together, and uh, we can push cubes and flip cards, and everyone can be friends. I think so, too. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I think it's still a valuable conversation, mainly from you know understanding that all these words mean different things in our minds, and... It's good to to take a step back and think about what someone's saying when they when they speak and you know what does that mean for them and what are they trying to communicate so that's where this comes from. Good discussion, guys. We we did it. We did it. <laughs> so hey, we'll wrap it up there. We can chat over uh, on the guild. We'll start up a thread or something. We can chat on Twitter, things like that. If you want to know about all those social media informations, listen now because uh, we appreciate you joining us for this live episode, episode 44 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. And you can chat with us more about this topic over on Facebook uh, by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Choose an email if you want to secretly tell me that abstract games are way better than filler games. And uh, at nonsensicalgamers.com, you can join us over at the BGG Guild number 2077. Uh, check out the contest entry thread over there and uh, ask for a micro badge ask for some geek gold to get a micro badge check us out on instagram hashtag nonsensical gamers itunes reviews are always appreciated if you value the content and you want to give us some stars yes daniel don't forget we're now on google play oh are we i believe yeah we were approved for google play and okay. you can rate us there too please cool and find us there if you don't use itunes itunes and google play reviews and uh the best place to chat with us personally is over on twitter tiff if they want to talk with you how do they do that I am at inept gamer. Daniel, if they want to talk with you, how do they do that? By not calling me Daniel, that's for well, sure. Sorry, um, Danny, how do they talk with you? D sizzle. I mean, that's what I'm going by now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> A show uh, about Dan. At scandalous underscore nad if you want to talk personal stuff, or at league nonsense if you want to talk non-personal stuff, but still a little bit personal. Dan always gets personal. 
whether you like it or not. I don't mind. I'm an open book. Look (laughs) at me. Read this. Anyway, you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week for some Boardcast news. Join us then, and everyone say bye-bye. Bye. Bye.